Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Appreciate our online audience tuning in with us this morning as well. So last week, we left off in Genesis chapter 32, and really in this period of the Bible, we're looking at the developing saga of Abraham's family. I mean, God's chosen people, pretty good people, but they've got a lot of problems, right? They've got some issues, and we kind of talked through some of that. We looked at the story of Abraham's grandchildren with Esau and Jacob, and how uh, Jacob later in life had this change of heart as he wrestled with God. And during that story, and right in the next chapter over, we're introduced to one of Jacob's children by name. It's really interesting the way the Bible has it in there. It says that Jacob, as he was preparing to meet his brother Esau, he kind of divides his family and his possessions out in order from most important or least important to most important, right? And it specifically says that he kept his son Joseph back in the rear closer to him. This week, we're going to dive into uh, Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 45, if you'd like to be turning there. To give you a little information on Joseph, uh, this, this part of Genesis is probably some of my most favorite part of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. I think I say that every week, though, right? It's, every week is my favorite story. But this really is, Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's uh, Jacob's favorite son. He's second from youngest. We can't forget that Benjamin was born after him, and it's Jacob's youngest son. But the greatest theme in Joseph's life is that God has a very specific plan for this man. In Joseph's dreams, if you remember the story from Sunday school about Joseph's coat of many colors and he's his, fa- his father's favorite son and he has these dreams and as a young man he dreams that he's going to be greater than all of his other brothers that eventually they would actually bow down to him and of course his brothers they're not real thrilled about this as he begins to brag about it and so they go so far to fake his death to their father Jacob they throw him in a pit they sell him into slavery and he's sent off to Egypt eventually his worth is realized by those around him, and he's placed in this man's home as a servant, as an attendant to him, by the name of Potiphar. And he does well in Potiphar's house, but even here, once again, Joseph is stabbed in the back. He's betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. And even in prison, he gains the favor of the warden. He does well in prison, and once again, he's forgotten about. He's somewhat betrayed, and he's left in prison for two years. Eventually, Joseph is remembered. He's brought out of prison, this time into Pharaoh's home to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. And he does so well, and Pharaoh's so impressed with his, his wisdom, his intelligence, the fact that God is with him, that he promotes Joseph over all of Egypt to carry out this, this plan that he gives Pharaoh as famine begins to rip through the land. And guess who shows up looking for food all these years later? Joseph's 11 brothers. They come to Egypt and they're, they're hungry. Famine has hit uh, their place as well. And, and, and they don't recognize him at first. It's been a while and he keeps his identity hidden from them for, for a little while. 
And he puts them through what I think is a series of tests to kind of see what kind of men they had become. And he tests them, and eventually uh, we get to Genesis chapter 45. And that's where this story kind of picks up here. After going through all this uh, stuff with his brothers, keeping his identity hidden, look at what chapter 45 says. It says that Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. This, this family has a real issue with their identity, don't they? Verse 2 says, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they, they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So again... Let's just go back a little bit. Joseph's been through a lot in his life, right? I mean, Joseph has had some really big highs in his life. And man, he's had some really, like literally low, down in the pit kind of low moments in his life. And the norm for people who have these kinds of experiences, especially when we've been hurt, and now that we've got the power to enact vengeance, is to continue this cycle of hurt in the lives of those that we feel have hurt us. And so we've all, we've all heard it said that hurt people do what? Hurt people. Hurt people tend to hurt people. And normally that's true, especially if we, we can't see the big picture and we can't see that God's hand is at work in, in all these different areas of our lives and that it's all part of the plan. And that's what we're talking about this morning looking at Joseph's life is that every high and every low that he went through somehow was all part of God's plan. I believe that sometimes you actually need to spend a little bit of time down in the pit before you ever get to the palace. And what I mean by that is you need to spend some time in the, the pits of life in order to prepare you spiritually and mentally and emotionally to withstand everything that's going to come with living in the palace. The power, the responsibility, the ability to enact vengeance when that time comes. And likewise, the prison in Joseph's life, it kind of seems like a big failure in God's plan when he has to go spend time in prison, right? But the prison may actually be the very place that you need to be during that season of life. And here's what I mean by that. Prisons typically do what? They protect everybody on the outside from the people that are imprisoned on the inside. But in Joseph's life, I think that God was using the prison to protect Joseph from everybody on the outside in order to prepare him for the next stage in life when God would launch him from the prison literally into Pharaoh's palace. See, the thing in your life that you feel like is holding you back right now may be the very thing that God is using to keep you safe and to keep you from a whole other host of hurts and problems. 
The trick is to discern and to trust God's plan. So here's three big takeaways from this story this morning. Because, and we've talked about this some before, it's a recurring theme throughout Scripture, but because I can trust God's plan, first thing is that I can feel the right emotions. Do we have any emotional people here this morning? Look, my son raised his hand. He's, he's the most honest person in the room. We, we're, we're emotional beings, right? At least most of us that aren't robots. We're, we're pretty emotional. In Genesis chapter 45, Joseph is overcome with emotion, right? But it's a good emotion. It's almost, to me, when I read this story in Genesis 45, it, it's, it's comical how emotional Joseph gets, that he weeps so loudly, the Bible says, the Egyptians in Pharaoh's house actually heard him. And, and I, I, I picture this in my mind, thinking about Pharaoh and his family sitting down at their, their, their big table. I imagine they have this giant table, and they're sitting there eating dinner at the same time as Joseph and their brothers. And all of a sudden, they hear this grown man just weeping and wailing. It's almost funny. But then, while he does lose emotional control, remember... These aren't necessarily bad emotions. Some emotions are actually good. He has every right to be angry right now. He has every right to be bitter, but he's not. He He has every right to hate these men standing before him, but he doesn't. So why does he weep? He weeps because I think, he, for one thing, he sees God at work. Even through all the pain that these brothers have inflicted in him, he sees God providentially bringing them to him, actually fulfilling those dreams from his childhood and giving him the opportunity to shower his brothers with forgiveness and grace and mercy. You see, Joseph, when you look at his life, he's an incredibly emotionally healthy man. He actually cries a lot. Seven times throughout Scripture, we see Joseph crying. But he, he, he cries at the right time for the right reasons. He didn't cry when they threw him in the pit. He didn't cry when they sold him into slavery. He didn't cry when he made it to Egypt and he was thrown into prison after being falsely accused. He didn't cry when the people forgot him in prison and left him there for two more years. But then when he sees his brothers remorseful and repentant hearts in Genesis chapter 42, the Bible says that Joseph had to turn away for just a minute and to weep. And here, he finally lets it all out. Now, had they heard him? Better believe they'd heard him. His own brothers betrayed him. Did they deserve his wrath? Absolutely. But he loved them instead. That means these were his brothers. These were his people. And even though they'd made some very serious mistakes and hurt him tremendously, Joseph was able to realize that even through all that, God himself was able to take those mistakes and use every bit of it for good, even the good of his brothers. And because of that level of faith, Joseph is able to extend forgiveness to these men. When we've been hurt, and we've all been hurt at some point in our lives. But when we've been hurt, the easy thing to do is to carry that hurt with us and just allow it to continue to ravage us and to take a toll on our emotions and our mental state and even our spiritual health. And these brothers, you've got to realize, they were hurt too. We see them uh, broken because of their sin. And, and they, were, they were hurt in the sense that they regretted what they'd done to Joseph. And for Joseph to then carry that hurt and perpetuate that on to them... 
It wouldn't have hurt them anymore. It only would have hurt Joseph even more. So like, like Joseph, we've got to learn to trust God's plan, even through the betrayals, even through the backstabbings, even through the hurts, and learn to let those things go in order for us to be an extension of God's love and grace and forgiveness to those who have even hurt us, who don't deserve it. Feel the right emotions. The second thing that we can do when we trust God's plan is I can actually not just feel the right way, but I can actually do the right things. Emotions often drive actions. And after all these years, Joseph is presented with the unique opportunity to get his brothers back for what they've done to him. And I think that Joseph, if you look at it, he's got a lot of options, right? As the, one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet, Joseph had the power and the authority to just kill these men and just be done with them. He could send them away and let them starve to death. He could uh, do everything they had done to him, sell them as slaves, throw them in the prison. He could do all that if he wanted to just to get back at them. It's certainly what they deserved. There's a story about one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. But even Spurgeon wasn't perfect, and this story is pretty neat. Charles Spurgeon and a man by the name of Joseph Parker were both uh, pastors of churches in London, England in the 19th century. And one day, Pastor Parker was preaching to his uh, congregation, and he commented on the condition of the kids that were brought into Charles Spurgeon's orphanage, talking about how bad they were, how poor they were, and this and that. And somebody told Spurgeon, you know how rumors work, Somebody told Spurgeon that Parker was actually criticizing the orphanage itself, not just the condition of the kids. And so Spurgeon gets up in his pulpit next week and absolutely blasts Pastor Parker from his pulpit. So that attack then was printed in all the newspapers. It becomes the talk of the town. you got the preachers fighting each other from the pulpit. And so everybody in town goes to Pastor Parker's church the next Sunday to see just what Pastor Parker might have to say about Charles Spurgeon. So he gets up in his pulpit and he says, you know what, church, this is the Sunday that Pastor Spurgeon typically takes up a donation for his orphanage and he could not have church today and be in his pulpit. I suggest that we take a love offering up for him instead. They said that as they passed the plates through the congregation that the ushers actually had to empty the plates three times in order to collect all the money for Spurgeon's orphan. I wish we had that problem here, church. I'm just kidding. But no, not really. See, they <laughs> said that people were so moved by this act of grace that they generously gave to Spurgeon's orphanage. And later that week, there was a knock at Pastor Parker's study, and it was none other than Charles Spurgeon. He said, Parker... He said, you've practiced grace on me. He said, you've given me not what I deserve, but everything that I needed. You see, Joseph stood before his brothers and he looked back at how God had, had taken every moment in his life up to this point And he'd worked it together to be able to, as he says, establish these men as a remnant and to preserve them, to keep them alive. It's through that mature view of what God is doing in his life that he's able to extend grace to his brothers. They don't deserve it. They certainly haven't earned it. But he's able to literally save their lives because of what God has done in his life and actually save future generations. So I think part of Joseph's weeping is due to the joy of being able to do the right thing. 
You see, revenge doesn't make you feel better for long. It might for just a minute, but eventually that's going to wear off. Vengeance and even justice, it feels good for a moment, but it doesn't take the hurt back. You see, grace and forgiveness and mercy usher in a freedom and a joy and a healing that is actually beyond explanation. And the ability to do that, one, it's, it's knowing what God thinks, but two, that God truly is working all things together. Even the hurt that someone has caused me, he's working all that together and taking everything, as Joseph will say, that the enemy meant for good, for evil, and he's using it for good. Lastly, and very importantly, yeah, I can do the right things, but I can also speak the right words. I can speak the right words in the right way. We've all heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Y'all must not know that. Words will never hurt me. Yeah, you know it, don't you? You know that's a bunch of hooey, right? Words are incredibly powerful. To be used either as a weapon or as a tool. And Joseph wasn't always good at this. Remember when he was a young man and he, he had the dreams. And, and even though those dreams were true and they were prophetic, he didn't speak the truth in love. I think he spoke to his brothers in arrogance and pride. But his brothers, they, they took that prophetic dream and, and thought that Joseph was just saying that he's better than them. And so now all these years later, he has every right to cut his brothers down with his words, to tell them how they've hurt him, to remind them just how bad and evil they, they truly are. But he actually tells them the same truth from all those years before, except now he has the maturity to communicate it in a way that's not so offensive. And he, he says, guys, look, yeah, this is what you did. Yeah, you sold me into Egypt as a slave, but even though you did this bad thing, guys, I want you to understand, God was already using your mistakes to send me ahead of you, to send me to this place in this moment where I can now take care of you. Even though you performed all the actions, brothers, it was God, it wasn't you that did this to me. And Joseph reminds them, just like the dream said so many years before, I'm actually ruler over all of Egypt. But it don't mean I'm better than you. It means that God had a plan to put me here to help you. How often do we fail with our words when we're hurt, when we're angry? I'll be the first to say, when I get a little angry, my words just blah. It just flies out of there. Working on that. James is, is teaching me to work on that. But instead of seeing the big picture of God's plan and, and being an extension of His grace and His love in the lives of others, we just start spewing even more hurt, trying to cut people down with our words instead of building them up. Sometimes we speak the truth. Yeah, and we remind people of what they are and we remind them of what they've done. And how they failed, and it's all true, but the, listen, the truth that's not spoken in love only brings more hurt. Prayerfully, I, I pray we can get to a point in life like Joseph and realize there's a plan here. And while some days are tough, and while some days we experience some betrayal and we get hurt, we've got to understand that somehow God is orchestrating all of this. 
He's on his throne and he's very much in control. Joseph's an amazing character. One last thing I want to point out is like his great-grandfather, like his grandfather, even like his father, many things, things in Joseph's life point us something more important than all this, and that's God's plan to bring Jesus. God had to establish a, a people for himself. This, this group of brothers, a bunch of knuckleheads, most of them, most of the time. But God had to establish the nation of Israel out of these 12 men who would become the 12 tribes in order to bring forth the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And like Joseph was betrayed and sold for silver, Jesus was betrayed and sold for silver. Like Joseph was falsely accused and imprisoned, Jesus was falsely accused and imprisoned. Joseph was exalted to the highest position. And when his own brothers stood before him, deserving death and punishment, Joseph poured out his grace on them and he brought them into his own house to eat from his own table and he forgave and restored them. That is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us today. And if you need that kind of grace, just understand, because it's grace, it's free. And he'll freely give it to you. And if you're here this morning and you just need some assurance of what God's plan in your life looks like, just ask him to give that to you. And he will. Stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for... Such amazing stories that have stood the test of time. God, how your word written here at the hand of Moses has been preserved for so many years. God, to serve to us as a reminder that you've got this. On the days when it feels like our lives are just coming unglued and things are crashing all around us. People are failing us. We're failing people. God, we know That you've got a plan. And God, I pray that you would give us the faith to trust you when we're in the pit. We trust you when we're going through the prisons of life. I pray that we'd trust you and we'd be responsible when we're in the palace moments of life. Experiencing the highs. God, I thank you that you have grace for us like Joseph had grace for his brothers. That you love us enough to send Jesus, to put all this plan in place to save these people and establish a remnant, as the Bible says, just so you could bring your son into this world to save us. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. God, for someone that's never experienced his, his salvation, his freedom, Lord, I pray that you give them the faith and the courage to do so today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen sing a song of invitation this morning. If you'd like to come and and pray, you most certainly can. If you'd like for me to pray with you, we can do that. If there's a decision that you'd like to make, why don't you come as we sing a song of invitation. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.